welcome to Yellow Chair Collective, the podcast. As you know, my name is Helen Garcia. I've known Dilia in periphery for a really long time because we kind of run in the same circle. But Dilia is now an associate MFT. She went to Azusa Pacific and is now working for Canby Therapy. So is Dilia, why don't I ask you this? Is being a therapist everything that you imagined it to be? Or what what's it been like for you as like a starter therapist? I'll tell you a little bit about my journey. So the first time I had experience with any like community mental health or working with people was a few years prior to my program. I think it was twenty like twenty eighteen to twenty twenty. I used to be a behavioral specialist and we would work and we would work with the different therapists, social workers, and we were doing the behavioral work. And that's where I got to see the other side. I would do the behavioral work therapist with the processing and helps the family and stuff like that. And there was a specific client that I really connected with. And I knew that I wanted to be on the other side. And then I knew that at that point, I only had my undergrad in child development. So I knew that that was not going to be enough. So I started doing my research and I wasn't really sure what I was getting myself into. There's social work and there's MFT. And I wasn't sure. I feel that a lot of, a lot of people, actually, a lot of people that I know, they lean towards social work. So I just started to do my research on like, what is the differences? And I realized that MFT, marriage and family therapy, kind of aligned more with what I was looking for based on theories and the classes that the program is offering. And I went for it just blindly. (laughs) (laughs) And then I started my program. It was a two-year program, like you mentioned, at APU. And it was a really good experience in terms of like learning theory, learning to work with clients from from a different lens that's not like behavioral work. Therapy still includes behavioral work, but not as as intense in that level. And then I jumped out of, out of, right out of like grad school, I jumped into private practice and that was, that has been another shift as well from working on community mental health through behavior work. And then my practicum to private practice, it's been a shift and surprisingly it's been very pleasant and different than I expected. Even the populations that I'm working with, I have a lot of experience working with children, families, parents, because community mental health, that's a big chunk of what I was doing. And in my practicum also, I was working with children, families, parents, and now I really specialize in working with adults and it's individual therapy. And it's been such a change (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) To say the least, it's been a huge change. We share that. We used to work in community mental health. We worked for the same agency. And so I recently interviewed a couple's therapist for the podcast. Her name's Jessie, and she talks about the power of couples therapy and how it has the ability to just make the client the couple. The couple is a unit. And so why don't you talk to me about why you love couples therapy, why you like working with adults, given that your past was working with families and children? Yeah, I had a really, I think I had a really good experience working with children and families. And a lot of the work when you're working with kids, it's actually with parents. You're working with the parents to help them navigate the relationship, the family dynamics that are putting like barriers in the clients, like progress and anything along those lines. 
And I've always tend to really like working with the older population, talk, talk therapy. That was one of the things that I really enjoyed. And I hadn't had a full experience just doing one-on-one therapy. And one of the reasons that I actually did MFT is because of the couples work. I've heard really good things about it. And it's really based on preference. Some people really love it. And some people hate it. And I can see why. <laughs> and I can see why. I think it's really a little bit of both. I think for me, yeah. I realized just from my past, I didn't have like the most like healthy model relationships growing up. And it was really intriguing for me to kind of learn about those topics. And when I did learn, I was also in a place in my life where I was engaged, now I'm married, but I was like starting my own relationships. And I was like, this could be really helpful. And I saw the tools that I use. We actually, I actually got certified in Gauman level one through school. That's kind of the foundation wow. that, I, that I use with the clients, the couples. And I really love being able to like bring that, like my own experience, but also theory and education that I've learned through school and implement it with couples, especially if they're couples, like young adult couples, anyone between 18 to 30. Like, I think that's my, <laughs> that's my niche. I really enjoy that type of work, but it is, it is a hard work when it's, I think it's a skill, like you mentioned that you have to like attain being able to kind of like have that flow of two people in the room, knowing you can't take sides. They're the unit, you're treating them as a couple. There's a lot more that goes, I think, like focus with making sure that they, they both feel validated, heard, and we're working on what they're here to work on as a unit, as a couple. Mm. It's interesting when you talk about not taking sides in couples therapy and being able to implement that. I love how transparent you are when it comes to talking openly about how you were engaged at one point and now you're married and how you've used so much of what you've learned and through like the Gottman level one method in school. Can you talk about that, about what you, what changed your perspective and what you continue to learn? Yeah. If you ask me, I'm a little biased, but I feel that I try to implement, <laughs> implement things for myself in my relationship. And it's hard because if you think about it, I think the education that's taught and all the skills that are being used, they're easy to teach. Like if I'm teaching them to my clients, to you, to anyone like I feel confident and I know what I'm doing, but I know it's a whole different story to actually implement in the moment. Like I found myself to be completely transparent, like some of the skills <laughs> that I teach and that I know that they just go out the window once, once you're irritated, once you guys, once we're in an argument, once we're doing something like that. But I also see the value of like being able to like create healthy relationships as I mentioned, I, I didn't have that growing up and I don't know, I can't really like pinpoint what clicked for me, but I think there was a point and I think it was on my undergrad that I knew that I had to kind of work on myself to be able to jump into a healthy relationship. And since we're in this topic, I think it's always so interesting. I don't know if you've seen like on Instagram where it's like, oh, like sometimes you have to love yourself before loving someone else. And there's kind of this debate like going on. I just kind of stay somewhere in the middle. But I think that you could heal in relationships. And then also 
kind of knowing your worth and knowing where you stand and like self-love and self-value also bring a lot when you're already healed into a relationship. So it kind of, it kind of just navigates the whole relationship and being able to like work on yourself and using skills that you learn. One of the things that I always hear often is that you don't like people think that couples, couples come into therapy in a crisis and, and that's when they're on the verge of divorce, maybe they're just like really like over the relationship. But I've also seen clients who are not on the verge or they're not on the verge of divorce. They're not in a crisis, but they want to work on themselves. Like they're in a good space. Like they're preparing. Like for me, like knowing we were about to get married with my husband, we actually did like premarital work through our church. And it was, it was good. It was a good conversation of like building a foundation to what's to come, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really beautiful how you and your husband went through premarital counseling because therapy can be a space to mitigate any future problems. It can be a way to maintain what's already healthy rather than waiting for things to get worse. Can you tell me about, I want to speak to the person who is listening to this podcast for the first time, who is going because I've heard this said to me before as a therapist, Helen, what's the difference between just talking to my best friends versus seeing a therapist? I'm wasting money by going to a therapist when I could just be going to my friends. What's the benefit and what's the, what's the purpose of going to therapy, going to couples therapy? What does that do for a person? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'll, I'll give I put myself an example, right? I think of my best friend and my friends and how they're, they're really biased. <laughs> We're friends. We're friends. And if I do something that maybe I know it's not the best decision, most of the time, 99% of the time, they're going to side with me and be like, oh, but there's a reason why you did this or, or it's okay because of this. And I think it's just the biased perspective because of course, especially if it's someone you care, you love, like it's hard to kind of see the areas of growth and help them and give them feedback or advice or whatever it is, that's not biased. I think when you go to therapy, the therapy process, the therapy room is actually a space just for you. There's no back and forth. There is some self-disclosing depending on the therapist, but it's really a space where you just get to be you, you get to process. And it's a different perspective you get you go in there you create your goals you you're able to create your goals based on what you need based on what you're going through and you collaborate with your therapist and being able to work towards that but one of the things because I've done my own therapy and I think it's been really to go through that journey but I know that when things come up and I know I'm in the wrong (laughs) like sometimes (laughs) being called out and that's in an effort to be able to create awareness of things that you might change because you could continue to do the same things over and over and over. And that's just a pattern that's going to stay unless someone gives you like a different insight, like, Hey, maybe this is happening or why do you think this is happening? Or maybe this is happening because of this and what can you do about it? But I think it's different perspective that a therapist brings in and let's not talk about all the education that we go through, like graduate school, because that's a whole nother two years that go on top of that. So 
there's there's a benefit of having someone that's not biased in the room. There's a benefit to having someone who has knowledge in different different areas, different topics, and could speak to you on that. And then sometimes it's not therapy that doesn't necessarily give you advice, but they could bring good insight to things that maybe you were not able to see if, or your friends were not able to see because they're looking at you through another lens. Mm. Yeah. A best friend can provide biased information to you because they're on your side. Whereas therapy can provide a place for you to develop deeper insight about your areas of growth. You've provided so much rich information about where you've been and why you do what you do. So you were a behavioral interventionist and you were working with children and parents. And then it culminated into wanting to get a graduate degree and a master's in marriage and family therapy. And so you have all of this rich information in having a bachelor's education and using what in child child life specialty. I think I'm butchering your grad. <laughs> Your undergraduate degree. It's yeah. An adolescent development degree. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yeah. Child and family adult. Child adolescent. <laughs> it's okay. Just like an adolescent. I'm going to be honest. Now that we're in this talk, I actually got that degree because I wasn't sure what to get. I'm a first gen, first gen student. I, I, I'll tell you a little bit about like that, why I got the degree itself. Please. We had just, I, I was born in Guatemala. We immigrated when I was, I was around six or seven years old. And then I just went through the, the motion of going through school and stuff like that. When I was about 16, 17, I was already in high school and we had to go back to Guatemala. We stayed over there a year. So when we came back, I was really behind. I did homeschool. And then I integrated back into high school, regular high school. And I realized I was in 12th grade by then. I realized that a lot of people were applying to college. And I was like, damn, like, is that the next thing? <laughs> and my parents could help me. I was really shy and afraid to ask like any counselors because there was counselors in high school, but I was really like intimidated. And then everyone was applying to CSUN. So I was like, okay, CSUN it is. CSUN. <laughs> 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 so I was like, that's my I applied to CSUN. I got in and, and then next was like, okay, what do I pursue? And I had no idea because like I said, I, I, I hadn't even thought about college to that point. I think my next step was actually like just working and trying to figure out as I was, but I decided to go to CSUN. And then I, at that point, I said that I wanted to work with kids no reason. I was just like, maybe I want to be a teacher. Maybe I just want to help kids. And it was an easy degree in my like eyes. So I applied for it. I did four years undergrad. I worked with kids in a school setting while I did my undergrad. And then I graduated and I was still lost. <laughs> and I was still lost. And there was for me, like I said, I think I'm, I was just very like hesitant to ask for help. So I was just kind of navigating it as I could. And now that I look back, I think of like all the first gens, the people that need help and stuff, like how many majors there are. And if I could go back, I'd probably choose something else. Now that I'm in the field of psychology, maybe psychology was, which was another very popular major, but 
there's so much like information that us as first gens don't know going in that decisions are just like impulsive. Like I don't regret mm-hmm. it, but I think a lot of the information I learned in my experience in undergrad, now that I think back to it, back on it, I'm like, man, I wish it had been so different. But that's how I ended up with the with the bachelor's in child adolescent development. Yeah. Yeah. I think you speak so much in about like the embedded structures of privilege and how me included, I'm a first-gen college student, the first in my family to ever go to college in the United States. And there's so much feeling of losslessness. Where am I going to go from here? What do I want to do? But what I notice about the thread of your life is you are just faithful to that next step. Okay, I need to go to college. I'm going to be faithful in this step. Okay, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to be faithful in this step. And then somehow along the way, you discover more about who you are. And sometimes therapy and coaching can be an aid to that. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of the people that come into therapy for the first time, they're not sure what the difference is between therapy and coaching. So you do both actually at KNB Therapy. Can you explain to people what the benefits of coaching are and what the benefit of therapy are? Yeah, we do both. We actually do therapy and we do specifically life coaching. And there, there's there's a big difference. There's a big shift. I think the first main difference that I would say is that therapy, as I mentioned, it's a space where you can process. You're able to, if you're looking to like dive deep into your past, your present, and then use skills to work on your future, that's the place to go. You get to be able to unwrap and talk about things that maybe you didn't even know that were contributing to any symptoms, feelings, relationships, relationship problems that you're having at the moment. And therapy, you could be there as long as you need to be. And then you work with your therapist in creating a plan of like, okay, what's the next step? You create a goal that you decide on the goal, but your therapist can help you navigate the process of creating the goal. And then you work on it. You come in, you talk, you learn skills, you, you're you able to process stuff, and it's your safe space. And coaching, it's really a place where you can focus on your present and your future, right? Let's say you're stuck in something and there's barriers to you able to explore like, okay, I'm here. It's kind of like a path or like I'm here and I want to get here. And there's something in the middle, like getting in the way. So how can we explore that? And coaching, it's usually based on like packages. You get to choose different packages based on time. Do you want a four-week coaching? Do you want like an eight-week coaching? And you also create a goal. You create a goal. And it's usually something that's more short-term and quick. Like you want quick answers. Like I want this and I want this now. How can I get there kind of thing? And then you work with your coach. To be able to like reach those goals, those milestones. And when your session's finished, either like for eight, four weeks, eight weeks, you're done. You could also like, if you wanted more, you could create more, but it's more, I think one of the main differences, like therapy, like past, present, future. And I would see coaching as like present, future, what's in the middle, like get me there (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. to, to, to get to that point. 
I could elaborate a little bit more on just the degree process, like I mentioned. To become a therapist, there's a long process that goes into it. First, you need your undergrad to then be able to get your master's. When you're in your master's, you have to do hours. You have to accumulate hours to practicum, internship, practicing in different like fields and anything along those lines. Once you finish, you have to apply with the Board of Behavior Sciences to become a registered associate. Once you're a registered associate, you can work under the supervision of a licensed clinician. They check, they, they supervise you while you're gaining your hours towards licensure. Once you get 3,000 hours, it's a lot of hours, you finally are able to apply to become a licensed clinician. And you could pretty much kind of go your own way after that. For coaching, it is a little bit different. I think for me, I'm a clinician at heart. <laughs> we do coaching because it does have its benefits. But for coaching, um, anyone could become a coach. <laughs> you really don't need a degree. You could call yourself a coach, like I'm a coach. And as long as you have the experience and the knowledge, then people are going to bite. And it really is depends on what you're looking for. There's different coaches specialized on different things. Some of, some of the most common topics that I've seen and that we do is like life coaching in terms of relationships, communication, life skills, uh, professional development, like I said, kind of quick answers type of thing. So those are those, I would say those are the main differences in terms of like coaching and therapy. Yeah, the way that you explained it reminded me of sports. <laughs> which I think is a perfect analogy because when you think about it, there's a difference between physical therapy and coaching. Because when you're a coach, you're in the game, you're playing the game and the coach is training you. Both of them kind of overlap, right? Because both of them have to do with training and cultivating the athlete's stamina. But a physical therapist almost takes care of the injury so that it prevents future like degradation of your body. And so physical therapy, when you think about it, is a holistic understanding of where you've been, where you are, and where you could be. But we need to fix the underlying symptom so that we can help you in the future and we can help you become a better version of yourself. Like coaching does the same thing, but like the person's in the game with you like hey you need to run faster you need to do this better like you need to fix your form in this way but coaching is not as holistic as therapy and when you talked about being a clinician at heart I can see that because you really care about the person's overall well-being it's very holistic it doesn't mean that coaching isn't holistic it's just more of a present moment type of orientation yeah there, there's definitely a different approach to it I think there's just to be like, there's no like right or wrong. I think it's really just based on preference and what people are looking at. But therapy does have the ability to kind of like, you look at everything. Now that you said the example of like sports, I think of like a band-aid, right? Coaching is like, this is a barrier. Let's put it by the here. Let's get you moving forward. And then mm -hmm. you're actually able to like process there's crying, there's laughing, like you name it. And you're able to get to like the root of what's 
actually happening. Let's say let's say it's that you're lacking motivation, right? You're able to go back and process and talk about why you're lacking the big insight of like why you're lacking motivation and you're able to work from that. Not really like kind of like a quick fix kind of thing, but also, like I said, there's no right or wrong. I think it's really based on preference. One of the benefits of coaching is actually that it's nationwide, right? I think with therapy specifically, you're, you're licensed in the state. For me, I'm here. My registration is in California, so I could only serve clients in California. With coaching, I'm able to see and cl- see clients nationwide wherever they're at because there's not a regulation or anything that's not telling me telling me not to do mm-hmm. it. So I'm able to expand more and just serve like pretty much anyone that wants the help. Mm-hmm. So that's actually... Yeah. Another good benefit about it. Yeah, therapy is a lot more regulated because yeah. we're we're also medical providers and healthcare providers because we we can get in touch with doctors and and kind of co-collaborate on the client's well-being. So it's a lot more of a medical model. Granted that therapy acknowledges the mindset that comes with acknowledging mental health as a medical model. But you can see it as that almost as if that's why we're called clinical therapists and other people are called physical therapists because clinical is more dealing with the medical and how it impacts your overall health and well-being, etc. Delia, as a as a therapist who also goes to therapy, what are the benefits of getting mental health treatment for you? How has it made you change as a person? Yeah, I actually made a blog about this not too long ago because I think it's such an interesting topic. When I first started my therapy journey, it was because there was a requirement from school. And I was like, okay, let's get this hours out of the way. And that was actually my first encounter with therapy. And initially, I got to say that it was it was a little uncomfortable. I wasn't sure kind of where I wanted to take it. I showed up and I was like, Hey, like I have to <laughs> have to do my hours. I need some hours to graduate. And then after a few weeks, we just got everything out the way that was like surface level and we got to working on the things that I needed to work. And one of my big takeaways from therapy was that like how amazing and genuine it is that you could tell your client was coming in for the first time they're anxious, they're nervous, they're like, what am I doing here? And you could tell them like, hey, I know how you feel, like I've been there. Like you could actually validate their experience and feeling because you've been on the other side. What it feels like to be a client, what it feels like to be vulnerable and share your feelings with a complete stranger, because that that's what it is. So you're able to really relate on that level. But also I think as a clinician and mental health professional like there's a lot of there's a lot of stress that comes with working with other people that's the reality of it we're working with other people and I love the job that I do but it could also get very heavy sometimes when and if you don't have your support system then you just kind of just bottle everything in and if you have your own therapy for me it was a space where after practicum after seeing like 10 kids and it's been a chaotic day and the parents screaming in the background I'm like oh my god like I need to <laughs> like who do I vent to 
And the thing with like, you can't just go to anyone and like, oh my God, my client this and client that. There's confidentiality that you got to follow. And you're in therapy, you can still just kind of process with like, hey, like it was such a bad day. I feel heavy. You kind of leave it there. But I always think that, at least for me, like I can't give my best to my clients if I'm not at my best. Like you can't fill from an empty cup kind of thing. And that's, that's how I see it. I have to be in a good space to be able to like treatment plan, to be able to like give my best to my clients. And it, I think it gets heavy if you don't find a space where you could actually do your thing. And I'm going to elaborate a little bit more. Like one of the biggest misconceptions is that therapists have their life all together. <laughs> like, please, please tell me how I can do that because... <laughs> Like as a couples therapist, just as a therapist itself, like I, I struggle with my own mental health. I struggle with my own stress and motivation. There's days that are really good. There's days that are not the best. I struggle with like imposter syndrome, like you name it. But one of the benefits is that I get to work on my own things and then help others work on their things. I don't have it all together, but I, it's one of the things that people think like, then they have it all together. How did they do it? I, I would love to know the secret, but yeah, those, I think that has been my experience. It's been a benefit more than anything in being able to like grow through my own things, being able to process and being able to just relate like, Hey, like, I know how you feel. This is, this is hard. <laughs> like I've been there too. I, I love how you're removing what I like to call like the cloak of Oz when Dorothy like opens the curtain and she realizes that like Oz is actually not the great and powerful. He's like a guy behind a machine. Oftentimes it's just being able to be like faithful to that. Like this is just what I'm doing to help people. It doesn't make me perfect, but this is the profession that I chose. And I love how you're destigmatizing this for a lot of therapists that Sometimes it's helpful to just be a human talking to another human. We have the training, but the training doesn't take away from the fact that we also have lives and we also have struggles, but we're there for the person. And so given what you've talked about, Delia, can you talk about how you continue to nurture yourself and take care of your mental health with all the work that you do? Yeah, definitely. I was I was going to say that we're people, people, we're people, we're kids. Yeah. And it just translates to the person that I am in the room. Like I said, I think there's days that could be heavier, and there's a big emphasis on self care. <laughs> now, I'll tell you a little bit about how I take care of myself. I think initially, when I hear the word self care, something triggers in me, and I was like, I can't do it. Like, I don't have the time. <laughs> I don't have the time to do the vacations and all that stuff. And it was realizing that self-care is not necessary, like, like a week off, like on trip in Cancun or something. It's really doing little things that kind of fill my own cup. One of the things that I found super helpful and I continue to do is walks. I don't I don't like to go on runs because I don't like running, but I do have a treadmill on my place and I use that. At the end of the day, I walk maybe 30 minutes, an hour until I feel like, okay. And I do that as part of my day. I also make sure that I eat. I know it sounds funny, but you'll be surprised how sometimes 
if you're on the go, client, flying, flying, like you forget you have to eat or you don't schedule time to eat and now you're like hangry <laughs> and thirsty and the day just goes by. So it's for me and when I talk to clients, it's just being mindful of like, when are those moments? When can you actually create moments in your day to take care of yourself? And like I said, it doesn't have to be something big to be like, if you're having such a long day, taking a break, can take five minutes to go outside, take a sip of water. Can you eat a snack without being like in front of your computer and like stressing about one thing? And then also at the end of the day, if you do have time to do something for yourself, whether that's like watching a movie, Netflix, I love binge watching shows. <laughs> that's my guilty pleasure, but Netflix, whatever it is that you have to do to kind of unwind, then do that. But I think one of the things is that we have to be mindful in creating that. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Like the day's going to go by and the day's over and now you're starting your day again and it's just going to start again. It's just like a, a cycle unless you're intentional about creating time to take care of yourselves because a big part of the work that we do is taking care of others. I love how you talk about the fact that sometimes you forget to drink water and and eat because I struggle with that too. It's so easy to just make it about the person. And we live in a society that productivity is is like glorified. The more we get done, the more worthy we are as a human. And so with a lot of the young adult populations and the couples that you work with, I'm sure that this usually can come up. Yeah. And so for someone that's listening to this and going, Delia, it's easy for you to say, like you have a master's degree and you get to like sit down and just talk to people. I don't think I will ever be able to reach self-care. I don't have time. So what advice would you give to that person who might want balance, who wants a life outside of their job? And relational health. Yeah, I think balance, you're right. Balance, it's so hard to attain and it really varies by person. I think I I work from home. I have my own office. I, I live with my husband and I don't got no dogs, no kids. So I in that sense I I, I get it. People like people see me and like, oh, you have time, like you don't have kids, you don't have you don't have like a lot of things that maybe couples do. Couples have children, couples have like other different like work, different types of work and stuff like that. And I get it. And there was a time in my life when I was in undergrad, but I was a full-time student. I had my job and I didn't have time for self-care. And what ended up happening was I was just like super burnt out. And I think it's really hard to find that balance. And all I have to say is I think once again, you have to be intentional in creating those small moments. Creating, knowing that like work is work and I know work is going to be there all the time. And that's the thing, work is going to be there all the time. Whether that is just being mindful that if your shift ends at 6 p.m. and you have so many emails, like you're, they're going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> if that makes sense, they're going to be there tomorrow. A lot of the work that's going to be there, like it's going to stay there. It's not going to go in. I think just being mindful of finding those small moments. Like I said, it doesn't have to be 
something big. It could be little moments throughout the day where you could take breaks, little moments where you could just find yourself. Even this is kind of funny because when I used to work in community mental health, like I would never take days off. I would never use my vacation days. I would never use my sick days because not I one felt- time. <laughs> no, maybe I used them one or twice. Okay, I'm not even going to exaggerate. Maybe one in like the two years that I worked there. But wow. even when I did, there was guilt. It was like, like I was, I felt like people were going to die without me. <laughs> yes, it, I do. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> and I, and I get that. And I'm like, but no, like things are okay. If you do have like vacation time, if you have sick days and you're able to use them, like use them. What's for me, I see it like, what is the point of working? And if you can't even like enjoy, if you have family, if you can't even enjoy the money that you make with your family, if you can't enjoy the moments, the, the moments with other people that you love because you're so consuming your work days. I really like what you said about society, like productivity being something that, in other words, like this worship, like you're doing such an amazing job and you're working so hard. Like, that's great. But also, like, you have to find that balance of incorporating a little bit of of the things that you like. And I think part of it, and I'm just going to throw out this, like, even going to your own therapy, that's one hour a week that you can use just for yourself. And if you can't find, if you really is like, damn, like, I can't, I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know how to find a balance. Try therapy. (laughs) Try therapy. And sometimes you are able to like I said explore like why is it that it's really such a hesitation to like take a day off take a sick day to not be able to like create that space that time for you during your day and sometimes you'll find the answers when it's and if you don't I feel like it's still like a space that you get for yourself one hour where for me sometimes there'll be an hour of crying (laughs) and it was the best cry I had in the week after like stressful days. So there's a lot of value in being able to reflect on kind of like what's behind the hardworking mindset. If I am able to take it, I know every situation varies, but if I am able to take those days off, if I'm able to take that time, like what's getting in the way of me actually doing it? Hmm. I I really admire just the amount of self-awareness that you have. Because even when you said, if I can't even take one hour out of the week, let's say for a client who might be considering therapy, if I can't even take five minutes out of my day, there must be an underlying issue that's happening within my mindset or the way that I grew up that's telling me that I can't stop. And the consequence of that One of the first episodes on the Therapy Basics uh, like carousel was how anxiety often manifests into high blood pressure and heart rate and long-term illness. And they've made that connection, the mind and body connection, because the mind is the body. And I love how you talk about the consequence that it can have on our relational health. But moreover, there's a deeper implication of like lifelong like lifestyle. Like, what's your life going to be like when you're 80 and you can't take a day off? Yeah. That's that's a mental, that's a mental belief that's keeping you from living out your best life, right? Yeah, definitely. I like that you bring that up too. I'm thinking of like labels, right? When I think of kids and I have a niece, 
she's four and we're like, like, you're such a princess. You're amazing. You're like this and that. And, and she believes it. And she is. I'm not lying to her. It's <laughs> amazing. She's like the best little kid ever. But then I think of like adults, right? The same thing with labels. Like, like you start labeling someone as like, you're so hardworking. Like you never mm. take a off. And I'm thinking of like work culture now. And you get rewarded for your hard work. You could be like burnt out to the max and they see that, but they're like, damn, that was amazing. You hard worker, the labels, the labels that people throw at you, you live up to them. You live up to the expectation. So I think it was such a good point that you brought up about like, what's like kind of what's behind it. What's the root? How do we get to that? Because then you're able to see like, you're able to work from that and be able to prioritize things that actually are good for your well-being and your mental health. But it just made me think of labels and how when we get told you're so hardworking, you're this and that, you believe in it and you continue to do it and it's reinforced. And then you're in a place where, like I said, that maybe you don't take time off. Maybe you don't think you deserve a break because it brings a lot of guilt because you feel that you should be doing like something else. Mm. Yeah. Our language matters because mm -hmm. language is an indication of where you put your worth and where you get so much of that ego. Mm -hmm. We recently had another guest on and she has a master's in spiritual psychology and clinical psychology. And she talked about how fear is driven by ego it, this was Dr. Christine Catapon. She said, love is fueled by your human heart and your human mind, the true authentic self that you're walking into. And I love what you said about hard work is an action. When someone calls you a hard worker and you feed off of that, it that comes from ego. That if I stop working, then the then my character is diminished. Then my self-worth is diminished. And so I want to be respectful of your time, Delia, because I know we're a little bit over. But <laughs> what what's one thing that people who might be hyperproductive, who might overwork as a result of stress, what's a piece of advice that you'd like to give them, a practice that they can take on to begin to unlearn that type of behavior and shed that belief? Yeah, I think one of the most amazing things that anyone could do for themselves is be reflective in whatever form that looks like. At the end of the day, at the beginning of your day, in the middle of the day, take some time to think about, I think first I would say, take some time to think about like what's going on, how does it impact you? And if that's something that like you're happy with, I think most of the growth and insight comes from being reflective with yourself and being honest and true with yourself but the process so if you're someone <clears throat> who's being overproductive who feels so like guilty and crappy when they're not doing anything although it's totally okay that you shouldn't be doing anything kind of take a moment slow down to think about like where is this coming from why is it that I feel so guilty what else can I be doing if I'm not supposed to be doing this and you're able to find some answers of just kind of like where you are, who you are. That's one of the things that I found the most helpful, even for myself, being able to slow down and reflect in whatever way that looks like. Because I know that journaling is not for everyone. I know it's not for me, but sometimes it's really just 
taking a moment, sitting down and thinking about where am I? Like, am I happy with where I'm at? And if I'm not, what can I do to change it? Kind of thinking process. This was so good, Delia. Thank you so much for your time. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for this amazing yeah. conversation and giving me the time to, to speak with you today. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. I want to acknowledge you before we go for just the amount of reflection that you have and how this conversation just culminated into trying to unpack what this cultural moment has done to us. It's made us overwork. It's made us keep going. And you're a therapist who really wants to help people understand the root of why they do what they do. And I really admire that about you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Like I mentioned, I, I love the work that I do. And I, I can't really imagine myself doing anything else. And I think it's because of my own experiences. And I love to bring that into the room and just meet people where they're at and work together and be able to grow as a as as a community as people be able to grow and help each other out so yeah yeah all right